0: Letter 1 of Letters on England by Voltaire Edited by Henry Morley This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith Letters on England by Voltaire Letter 1 on the quakers i was of opinion that the doctrine and history of so extraordinary a people were worthy the attention of the curious to acquaint myself with them i made a visit to one of the most eminent quakers in england who after having traded thirty years had the wisdom to prescribe limits to his fortune and to his desires and was settled in a little solitude not far from london being coming to it i perceived a small but regularly built house vastly neat but without the least pomp or furniture the quaker who owned it was a hell ruddy complexioned old man who had never been afflicted with sickness because he had always been insensible to passions and a perfect stranger to intemperance. I never in my life saw a more noble or a more engaging aspect than his. He was dressed like those of his persuasion, in a plain coat, without pleats in the sides, or buttons on the pockets and sleeves, and had on a beaver, the brims of which were horizontal like those of our clergy he did not uncover himself when i appeared and advanced towards me without once stooping his body but there appeared more politeness in the open humane air of his countenance than in the custom of drawing one leg behind the other and taking that from the head which is made to cover it friend says he to me i perceive thou art a stranger but if i can do anything for thee only tell me sir said i to him bending forward and advancing as is usual with us one leg towards him i flatter myself that my just curiosity will not give you the least offence and that you'll do me the honour to inform me of the particulars of your religion the people of thy country replied the quaker are too full of their bows and compliments but i never yet met with one of them who had so much curiosity as thyself come in and let us first dine together i still continued to make some very unseasonable ceremonies it not being easy to disengage oneself at once from habits we have been long used to and after taking part in a frugal meal which began and ended with a prayer to god i began to question my courteous host i opened with that which good catholics have more than once made to huguenots my dear sir said i were you ever baptized i never was replied a quaker nor any of my brethren Said I to him, You are not Christians, then, friend. Replies the old man in a softer tone of voice. Swear not, we are Christians and endeavor to be good Christians, but we are not of opinion that the sprinkling water on a child's head makes him a Christian, heavens. Say I shocked at his impiety. You have then forgot that Christ was baptized by St. John? Friend, replies the mild Quaker once again, swear not. Christ indeed was baptized by John, but he himself never baptized any one. We are the disciples of Christ, not of John. I pitied very much the sincerity of my worthy Quaker, and was absolutely for forcing him to get himself christened. Were that all, replied he very gravely, we would submit cheerfully to baptism, purely in compliance with thy weakness, for we don't condemn any person who uses it, but then we think that those who profess a religion of so holy so spiritual a nature as that of christ ought to abstain to the utmost of their power from the jewish ceremonies oh unaccountable said i what baptism a jewish ceremony yes my friend said he so truly jewish that a great many Jews use the baptism of John to this day. Look into ancient authors, and thou wilt find that John only revived this practice, and that it had been used by the Hebrews long before his time, in like manner as the Mohammedans imitated the Ishmaelites in their pilgrimage to Mecca jesus indeed submitted to the baptism of john as he had suffered himself to be circumcised but circumcision and washing with water ought to be abolished by the baptism of christ that baptism of the spirit that ablution of the soul which is the salvation of mankind thus the foreigner said i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than i whose shoes i am not worthy to bear he shall baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire likewise paul the great apostle of the Gentiles, writes as follows to the corinthians christ sends me not to baptize but to preach the gospel And indeed, Paul never baptized but two persons with water, and that very much again is to his inclinations. He circumcised his disciple Timothy, and the other disciples likewise circumcised all who were willing to submit to that carnal ordinance. But art thou circumcised? added he. I have not the honour to be so, said I well friend continues the quaker thou art a christian without being circumcised and i am one without being baptized thus did this pious man make a wrong but very specious application of four or five texts of scripture which seemed to favor the tenets of his sect but at the same time forgot very sincerely an hundred texts which made directly against them i had more sense than to contest with him since there is no possibility of convincing an enthusiast a man should never pretend to inform a lover of his mistress's faults no more than one who is at law of the badness of his cause nor attempt to wing over a fanatic by strength of reasoning. Accordingly, I waived the subject. Well, said I to him, what sort of a communion have you? We have none like that thou hintest at among us, replied he. How? No communion? said I. Only that spiritual one, replied he, of hearts. He then began again to throw out his texts of scripture, and preached a most eloquent sermon against that ordinance. He harangued in a tongue as though he had been inspired to prove that the sacraments were merely of human invention, and that the word sacrament was not once mentioned in the gospel. "'Excuse,' said he, "'my ignorance.' for i have not employed a hundredth part of the arguments which might be brought to prove the truth of our religion but these thou thyself to peruse in the exposition of our faith written by robert barclay it is one of the best pieces that ever was penned by man and as our adversaries confess it to be of dangerous tendency the arguments in it must necessarily be very convincing. I promised to peruse this piece, and my Quaker imagined he had already made a convert of me. He afterwards gave me an account in few words of some singularities which make this sect the contempt of others. Confess, said he, that it was very difficult for thee to refrain from laughter when answered all thy civilities without uncovering my head and at the same time said thee and thou to thee however thou appearest to me too well read not to know that in christ's time no nation was so ridiculous as to put the plural number for the singular augustus caesar himself was spoken to in such phrases as these i love thee i beseech thee i thank thee but he did not allow any person to call him domain sir it was not till many ages after that man would have the word you as though they were double instead of thou employed in speaking to them and usurped the flattering titles of lordship of eminence and of holiness which mere worms bestow on other worms by assuring them that they are with a most profound respect and an infamous falsehood their most obedient humble servants it is to secure ourselves more strongly from such a shameless traffic of lies and flattery that we thee and thou a king with the same freedom as we do a beggar and salute no person we own in nothing to mankind but charity and to the law's respect and obedience our apparel is also somewhat different from that of others and this purely that it may be a perpetual warning to us not to imitate them others wear the badges and marks of their several dignities and we those of christian humility we fly from all assemblies of pleasure from diversions of every kind and from places where gaming is practised and indeed our case would be very deplorable should we feel with such levities as those i have mentioned the heart which ought to be the habitation of god we never swear not even in a court of justice being of opinion that the most holy name of god ought not to be prostituted in the miserable contests betwixt a man and a man when we are obliged to appear before a magistrate upon other people's account for lawsuits are unknown among the friends we give evidence to the truth by sealing it with our yea or nay and the judges believe us on our bare affirmation while as so many other christians forswear themselves on the holy gospels we never war or fight in any case but it is not that we are afraid for so far from shuddering at thoughts of death we, on the contrary, bless the moment which unites us with the being of beings. But the reason of our not using the outward sword is that we are neither wolves, tigers, nor mastiffs, but men and Christians. Our God, who has commanded us to love our enemies and to suffer without a repining, would certainly not permit us to cross the seas merely because murderers clothed in scarlet and wearing caps two foot high enlist the citizens by the noise made with two little sticks on an ass skin extended and when after a victory is gained the whole city of london is illuminated when the sky is in a blaze with fireworks and a noise is heard in the air of thanksgivings of bells of organs and of the cannon we groan in silence and are deeply affected with sadness of spirit and brokenness of heart for the sad havoc which is the occasion of those public rejoicings letter one recording by cheyenne